Alright, welcome everyone to the Cards of Cats Countdown. It is a December 2nd on a Monday. We're getting into Christmas season. Uh, this is going to be a special interview on this podcast. Lots to talk about. We had a huge college football weekend uh, with some big implications. Also, of course, it's uh, winding up to the end of the UK UofL football seasons. Uh, and there's a lot of basketball. So, with that, I do have a guest on. But first, I just want to bring in Clay. Clay, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. How about you, Paul? Doing pretty well. And joining us on air is from ESPN Radio 680, that's Spencer Keatsman. Spencer, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're, we're doing great. So this is like the best time of year for sports. Um, you know, NFL is getting close to the playoffs. College football is is throwing everyone off, <laughs> which we'll talk about. And uh, basketball is going on. So a lot going on. It's pretty cool. Um yeah, I know. I've, you know, I've always said that Thanksgiving weekend is the weekend, whether it's basketball or football or, or whatnot. You've got uh, you've got football just wrapping up and basketball still getting underway in most places. I know here in Kentucky, we've been all about basketball for the last month or so, but at most places, uh, basketball is, is still kind of picking up some popularity. If you know what I mean. So. Oh, certainly. We're we're uh, uniquely crazy here about hoops. <laughs> So, I think you know that. Um, and it's pretty funny. Thanksgiving weekend, normally it's all about the NFL. And not that it wasn't a bad day of football, but the whole country's buzzing about college football in the weekend we just had. Um, oh, so, absolutely. So, let's talk about it. I think something happened. Um, Auburn, Alabama. Just first question. I'm assuming you watched it live. Correct? I, I did. I was actually in the press box uh watching the last quarter at, at Commonwealth Stadium on Saturday night, and I think that everybody that was working there in the media uh, was more interested in that than Kentucky and Tennessee. I, I think I maybe watched five total plays mm-hmm. of that first quarter of Kentucky and Tennessee, so <laughs> everyone was preoccupied with Bam and Auburn, that's for sure. I think that's all you needed to watch of the UK-Tennessee. Uh, we'll, we'll get more about that later, but first of all, let's talk about it. Auburn, Alabama. First thing, just quick reaction to the play. Were you confused? I think the players were kind of wondering, was it legal? What were you thinking as that was happening in front of you? Um, I I wasn't confused. I I didn't expect. A, a, you know, you, when you go into that a game winning field goal, you never expect a uh, a possible return. So I, I think there's a, a a couple of two things happened. The first thing that happened is you got to get a kick to at least get through the end zone. I mean, I was only a 58-yard field goal. I mean, I, I don't know much about that kicker going in. I know he had missed three times already before that. Mm-hmm. So that was already an issue. And uh, and then the next thing is, is you gotta you got to have your guys spread the field as soon as that ball is kicked. Um, if there's always a chance of a possible return. you got a bunch of linemen and a bunch of tight ends, a kicker and a holder <laughs> on the field, not exactly the fastest guys on your team. And what they did was they tried to they tried to run down the return man, and you can't do that. You're not going to beat him on a foot race and and whatnot. So I think that there's I think that this is actually going to change the game, and we're going to actually start seeing teams practice defending stuff like that. Um, so I, that in a way it was groundbreaking. It's an unfortunate way for Alabama to lose, but I mean it's. It's crazy. That's just the iron bowl. That sums it up right there. Right. It was unbelievable. I did read some quotes after. 
and one of the Alabama linemen said that they do practice uh, field goal returns every Friday, I believe, every each week, but they don't practice with an actual returner. So there's right. part of the problem. And also, he said what they do is they just practice on kicking and filling the lane, and obviously that didn't happen. And, uh, Not at all. And history happened. It was awesome. So um, with that going – well, also, I guess before moving forward, Ohio State-Michigan, it's always a great rivalry. Had another classic. Um, could have been a huge upset. Um, Brady Hoke went for two. I guess a question for you. Do you admire coaches going for the win, or are you more favored on the conservative end on play calls like that? If, if I'm Michigan right there and I, I'm Brady Hoke, I like, I like to go for two. And I know he asked um, – he had asked a couple of the seniors on the offensive line uh, in the huddle – if they wanted to go for two, they were gonna, he was like, I'm going to let my seniors here decide what they want to do. If they want to try to go for the win, that's cool and all, but I'm not necessarily buying that because as soon as they scored a touchdown, they showed him on the sideline. He had already he was already holding two fingers up in the air. Right. So they were going to they were going to go for two no matter what, and that's that's the coach that's the coach's decision when it comes down to it, not a bunch of seniors who are on your team. Well, um, but yeah. I, I like the decision. I I do, and it's it, it, it's easy to like it if they get it, and you know, of course, a lot of Michigan fans are probably upset. But they're not winning that game in overtime. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I really don't think they're beating Ohio State in overtime. So I really do like the decision that you're the underdog. Your season hasn't gone the way you had hoped. You know, you've lost four or five games. I'm not exactly sure what Michigan's record is. But right. um, I know that that's, I mean, when your season hasn't gone as, as well as you had hoped, I think that that's a good opportunity right there to be that guy and knock Ohio State, your rival, out of the national title picture. So I have no problem with that decision whatsoever. Right. So with that going forward now, we do have, of course, the whole college landscape's turned over. Uh, Florida State, Ohio State, and Auburn are pretty much in the running. Um, what do you I think th- Missouri's in there, too. In Missouri, and you're right, with Missouri. Uh, just a theoretical question. It'll be the big debate for the next two weeks or so. If Ohio mm-hmm. State wins a Big Ten championship, and if Auburn wins, who do you think should get in that second slot? Oh, man, that's tough. It I, is. And you know what? I, I've been saying it for the past couple days that the winner of that SEC game should be in no matter what. But you you look at it, I mean, Ohio State, this is their second straight year. If they win, they take the 12-0. So, yeah, it was their second straight year of going 12-0. Um, but I, I'm not convinced that they're going to beat Michigan State. I mean, who knows? Michigan State's been playing well. Yeah. So, if you, obviously, if you're a Missouri or an Auburn fan, you're rooting like heck for Michigan State to win that game. But, with, I mean, with Ohio State, with the population of the state, with the pollsters, with the, the number of people that will be backing Ohio State, I think it's hard to, to leave them out of the national title game, even if they win that game. And even if Auburn looks good winning or Missouri looks good winning, vice versa, whichever one, I don't see a, a scenario anymore where Ohio State gets jumped. I really don't. And I, I don't necessarily think that's right. I think the Big Ten is terrible. And I think Ohio State, it's easy for them when they're playing Indiana, Illinois, and Purdue every week to beat up on those teams. Not to say that the SEC was great this year, because it wasn't. You look at the bottom of the SEC, Kentucky, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and even the way Ole Miss finished their season, I don't think those teams are any good, obviously. Right. So, um, I mean, the SEC wasn't great, but I think that Missouri or Auburn is deserving if they win that game. Right. Let's transition to a little bit more local football, and that would be U of L, of course, and Clay. You're the global guy here, so I'll go to you. But, yeah, switching gears here, you know, Louisville, Cincinnati, Thursday, obviously a big game there. Uh, I, I mean, not many much in, you know, such a sense of BCS anymore, but still need something to go 11-1. When we look back at this 
say, five years down the road in the ACC. What do you think fans are going to take away from this season? You know, I mean, 11 was fantastic. There's still kind of that bit of taste of what could have been if they beat UCF. Mm-hmm. Is it, I mean, is there a, I mean, I just wonder how do you think people will look back on this season? Well, I think there's a couple different ways you can look back on the season. And, and the last month or so, it just seems like the fan interest has gone down. And, it, and it's kind of – and that kind of stinks. And I feel kind of bad for some of the seniors in Charlie Strong because this is a pretty good football team. But to me, it seems like it's, it's a team that just isn't, isn't necessarily interested because of their schedule and because of the loss. As soon as that loss happened, everybody knew that there was absolutely no chance of going to a national championship and a slim chance of going to the BCS game because Central Florida is, is essentially run the table. So um, that that's that's out. But I think if you're a Louisville fan right now, what you can look forward to is going to Cincinnati Thursday night, which I will be there covering that game. Um, I think you can look forward to going there, beating your rival. For the last time, you'll probably play Cincinnati in a very long time. I don't see that series continuing, especially because UofL is already going to play UK for at least a short time being until – until something crazy happens in the SEC and they switch to a nine-game schedule. And if that happens, I don't think Kentucky's going to want to play Louisville anymore. So there's a lot of different things that could happen there. But I think one thing you can look forward to if you're a Louisville fan is the possibility to go to that Russell Athletic Bowl in warm weather in Orlando and play Virginia Tech or another ACC team and maybe get a a glimpse at what future matchups might look like. I think that would be very exciting for Clark Mm -hmm. Speaking of the Russell Athletic Bowl, you know, I'm not going to go into it from a team perspective because I think at the end of the day, whether they win or lose this, it's not going to affect anybody in the future of the ACC or, you know, what it does for them. I think, you know, last year the Sugar Bowl, that was a statement win to put the program on the map. If you beat Clemson this year, it's not going to, you know, change that what they're already in the ACC. But I want to talk about it from a Teddy Bridgewater standpoint. How well does Bridgewater have to play keep that number one spot in the draft because, I mean, it seems like there's been a lot of doubt around him nationally uh, from the sense that he's not played anybody. Now, his stats are fantastic, but he hasn't played anybody yet. And, and, you know, he played well against UCF, but outside of that, he's really not had any big games. So what do you think the pressure, I mean, how much do you think this game really goes into Teddy Bridgewater's draft stock going to probably against Taj Boyd and Clemson? Well, I, I don't know if it does, but because I mean, you think about the last month or so, um, the, the rest of the country has really forgotten about Teddy Bridgewater and his Louisville program in general. They've moved on. They've moved past him. I mean, his numbers have been pretty good, but he's not even even being considered to go to New York for the Heisman. He's not even considered for a lot of these awards, awards, these postseason awards. And I know a lot of that. I don't think a whole lot of that matters to Teddy as much. But I mean, it, it just. It does. It does kind of stink. It really does because he's a good player, and this is a good football team that the rest of the country has just seemingly forgotten. And uh, I'm looking at mock drafts right now as we speak, and uh, Rob Rang of CBSSports.com has him going number one to Houston, and so does uh, Dane uh, Brugler of, of CBSSports.com. I just pulled up a mock draft. A mock draft. They've got him going over Marcus Mariota at Oregon, and they've got him going over to Jadavian uh, Clowney. That's kind of a tough name to say. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Derek uh, uh, Carr is the, the next highest quarterback going on this list. Well, actually, Johnny Manziel is on one. But so yeah, most people still have him or considering his talent and potential. I think the Houston Texans would be a great fit for Teddy Bridgewater. 
Um, and it, had they won that game against New England yesterday, that moves Jacksonville back into that number one spot, and then that puts Jacksonville back in the picture. So I still think Teddy is going number one, barring some sort of, you know, uh, we don't ever want to talk about this because we don't want it to happen, but an injury against Cincinnati would be the only thing that would ruin that, I believe, or an injury in the bowl game. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if, how much this is this season has hurt Teddy. If you look at the game that the Cards have lost, they lost to UCF, and he and he still had a decent game. He had two touchdowns, and he didn't throw an interception. So um, he, he's been pretty good this year. He's been kind of quiet under the radar. This offense has definitely changed the past month or so. Uh, you know, Dominic Brown's been getting more carries. Uh, they're not throwing the ball as much. They seem to have been – Sean Watson has seemed to have been a little bit more conservative when it comes to the play calling. So that is that's definitely taken Texie Bridgewater's sexiness, his national sexiness away if you will. so. But, yeah, I, I still see him going number one. I think he's the best quarterback in the draft. I think Marcus Mariota is a close second. Um, but the thing about that stands out about Teddy to me is just his ability. I mean, we don't know a whole lot about Marcus Mariota's ability yet because he's in that Oregon system that is built to look the way he does, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm not even going to ask you about Teddy going forward. Not, cause I think it's just you know basically a foregone conclusion that he will be in the yeah. NFL draft. And other some people talk about he might come back just because of the guys he played with all the way up to college. But find it highly unlikely he's not. You know he's coming back for the one draft. I think it's kind of ridiculous. Well, I mean, if he did come back, he can only hurt himself. I mean, you look at what Jay Vaughn yeah. did. He should have left, and he didn't. And he came, he went back and did not have a good senior season, and then fell in the draft and lost money. So. Uh, from a business standpoint, it, it makes it, it makes nothing but perfect sense for Teddy to go in the draft. There's no question about that. Now, something you were going into that I want to ask you about is the offense and Sean Watson. I've been to I haven't been to one road game yet this year, but I've been to every home game. And one thing I've noticed from the start of the year to sort of the mid to the end of the year is we just it seems like as the year goes on, it becomes more bland and more same plays over and over again. It seems less vertical, more side-to-side screen pass football. Now, this is what Watson was criticized for and why he was let go at Nebraska. Do you right. think at the end of the year, you know, I know we're all, you know, assuming Bridgewater's going pro, I mean, do you think Strong and the staff are going to have to sit down with Watson and say we're going to need to change this up a little, a little bit? Because, you know, when you've got Teddy Bridgewater and Devontae Parker, two first-round picks, and you've got this type of offense, I know the offensive line's a little bit shaky right now, but to only put up 26 points on Memphis, that's really low compared to what the Pistols' offense has. I mean, they're going to be tough, though. The thing that's going to be tough to me is if you should, you, or if you sit down with with uh, Sean Watson after after this game, let's say they beat Cincinnati on the road, and they they look pretty decent doing it. I mean, I, I don't think Louisville's going to blow this team out by any stretch of the imagination. I really don't. Cause Cincinnati's been playing better. I know they lost a couple games early. Uh, they had some injuries, um, and I believe they had a death in the football program as well early on this season. Um, but anyways, I think that it's going to be tough to sit down with an offensive coordinator and say things need to change after going 11-1. <laughs> I mean, that's it's going to be kind of hard to tell somebody that they did not do a good job going 11-1 because if you think about it, the game they lost against UCF, they were up by 21 points. The defense needs to, needs to lock that game down. Um, so I, I think that it's going to be tough to, to convince Tom, or Sean Watson that things are going to change. But I think part of the issue is, too, is everyone knew coming in this season, you know, okay, we've got two NFL guys on our team for sure. I think I think Teddy Bridgewater's going to the NFL, and I think it's eventually Devontae Parker will end up uh, getting drafted somewhere, maybe not this year, but next year for sure. I think he's got too much size and speed not to go to the NFL. So 
know, I think people were looking into the season like we've got Michael Dyer coming in, a decent running back who has been a non-factor for this offense. And, uh, and Devontae Parker and Teddy, this team's going to score some points. And they're going to look good doing it. And we're going to look good on national TV. We're going to impress some people. And people are going to really start to figure out, you know, that Louisville is a legitimate program. And they didn't do that this year. They Their offense has been bland. Like you said, they run screen plays that just don't seem to be working. They, they've been running the heck out of, the, or, uh, out of Dominique Brown lately. So I just think that this season is, is the complete opposite of what we expected offensively from Louisville. And uh, last question I ask you, you know, before we change over to UK basketball is the fan support. Now, I know all year long, you know, the fans are sold out most games. You know, supposedly, you know, tickets are sold out, but not everybody's in their seats when right. game time's around. But I, I was there for the last, you know, senior day, and I have to say, you know, sitting next to Mark Yanich and Mark Blakenbaker, you know, we couldn't believe oh, really? the mass. Yeah, we, we couldn't just, you know, believe the mass amounts of open seats, you know, midway through the first quarter. And, you know, I, by the time fourth quarter came around, you know, I'm I'm guessing there was maybe 20,000, maybe 25 in the seats. I mean, I know somebody asked Sean, I believe it was uh, Rick Bozich at the end of the game, you know, what do you think about this? And he kind of just pushed it off a little bit. He really didn't give a straightforward answer because I think he knew – not time to push the fans after what happened last year when he did that and he got a you know bad backlash from the fans. But mm-hmm. is, is it just – I mean, what is he going to have to do to change the culture or can he change the culture? Because I feel like in some way – I don't know if there's 55,000 diehard Louisville fans for him to bring to the seats every week. I don't know if ACC is going to pull that out of the fans and have them come in every week. I know they're talking about stadium expansion. What does Strong need to do to change the culture to have a packed house every week? Well, I think getting some of those teams like Florida State, Clemson, Miami, getting them to come into your stadium is going to help. People are going to want to go see those teams play. And uh, I just, I think he needs to just win in the ACC. I mean, it comes down to that. You win ball games in the ACC. And I want to, I want to touch on that stadium expansion real quick. I, I, I know that the the idea would be to close off that end zone down there and add, what, like 20,000 more seats, making it like a 75,000? They're trying to get up to 80, I think, is what the goal is. Okay, that's just, I'm sorry, that's just ridiculous. This program does I not need 80,000 seats. This is, a, this is a basketball first program still, and it will be, I don't think that will ever change. So, uh, or a basketball first university, my bad. Um, but I, I just think that's ridiculous. I mean, you could be, you look at the crowd this year, I mean, this team is going to be 10-1, and, and, and some of this, the, the crowds were bad. And I know it's the AAC, and I know that game against Memphis, there were a lot of factors for people not to show up. One of them was that it's a noon game, you know, it's cold, they're playing Memphis, whatnot. It's, uh, I know the students were getting ready to go on Thanksgiving break. So that could have been an issue. I mean, I don't have a problem. I think the student section was embarrassing this year. I really do. And I don't really know why. Because, if you know, if you're a college student at U of L, you've got an NFL quarterback right now that you're – this is the last time you're going to get to see him play. And the student section was just embarrassing this year. I think that's something that, that needs to be fixed if, this, if the culture of this university wants to change from that, uh, you know, that whole we're just a basketball school attitude. But, um, yeah, I, I think that going into the ACC, you've got some teams that uh, that are going to come in that are going to draw some crowds. I mean, you're every I think every, what, four years you're going to play another game at home. So I think that's going to help. I know I know a lot of people, and I've only lived here for five months, but a lot of people in Louisville uh, grew up watching Notre Dame football. It's not that far away. And uh, back in the day when, the, you know, UVL was just flat out bad. <laughs> 
in football for the longest time. So I think a lot of people, you know, started watching Notre Dame when they were good. So I think a lot of the older people, the gray hairs, if you will, are going to get, get excited to see Notre Dame play in their stadium. So I think there's, there's, there, there's a bunch of opportunities to really change the culture for Charlie Strong coming up in the next two or three years. It'll be interesting to see how next season works out once that schedule is released. Uh, let's kind of move on to a uh, from one disappointing season to a much more disappointing season, <laughs> and that's for uh, Kentucky. And not a whole lot on them, but just a, a general question: um, two and ten first season for Mark Stoops. Uh, the staff was kind of questionable. The uh, the air raid never really happened, but you know no, they are bringing in yeah. a lot of talent. The 2014 class looks really promising. Um, what do you think about just the future of Stoops' tenure? Um, do you think there's reason to be excited, or is this more of just more of the same at UK? Well, I think there's reason to be excited, but I also think there's a there's a, a sign of disappointment if you're a Kentucky fan because the way the season ended, they did not improve like you would hope they would. No, and that's one thing that stood out to me. There were some issues. I mean, you look at that Georgia game with the suspensions that went on before that, with the the alleged you know uh, fake urine test and whatnot. So I think that uh, that that was kind of a, a shocker, and it seems to me that you could just tell by you watch that Georgia game that Kentucky team just quit. They their effort was not there, and, and you know Coach Stoops has addressed that. And uh, the Tennessee game uh, the other night was you know was much better effort. They just weren't able to get the win. And I know it, it sounds kind of sad hearing this because Tennessee is not a good football team, but they are miles ahead of Kentucky. They yeah. really are, and you can tell by, by seeing it there. Um, I think Kentucky's got some issues they need to address uh, this offseason. I think the first one is that offensive line. I think you've got to go. You've got I don't know how many scholarships off the top of my head they have left. I think they might have seven or eight left for the 2014 class. They've got to get into those junior college ranks and find some offensive linemen that can step in and play right away. And I think you have to do the same thing with that secondary. As banged up as that secondary was this year, they were also pretty bad. So, I think you've got to go find some junior college guys that can come in and play right away if you want to start winning now. So, um, But, yeah, it was disappointing. I think you should also be excited for the future. I think Mark Stoops is the right guy. I like that staff. I like Neil Brown. I like D.J. Elliott. Um, I, I think that they have some pieces in play. They've got, we saw uh, most of the guys that made plays this year, you look at JoJo Camp and, uh, some, and even the quarterback, even though as, as bad as they were, those guys are coming back. So yeah. um, you've, you've got a lot of players coming back. You lose some, but you lose a lot of players on the team. You lose Avery Williamson, of course, who has been great and was really emotional walking off the field after the game. But uh, I think there is some reason to be excited. And, and you look back on this season, I think this team should have won four games. I really do. I think you've got to beat Western Kentucky. Uh, you, you, at the time, maybe when you lose to Western Kentucky, you give them a pass on that because they're still trying to get new players involved with the new system and whatnot. But looking back, Western Kentucky did not have a good season this year. You've got to win that game, and I think you go to I think you go to Mississippi State and win that game. I think there were a lot of blown opportunities uh, to win on the road at uh, at a team that's you know about the same level as Kentucky is compared to talent. So I think you look back on it, I think it's a little misleading. I think Kentucky was in a couple games that they could have won. So yeah. there is some reason to be excited. Yeah, and also the yeah, South Carolina game was close. The one thing I was excited yeah. about is that really I think the most impressive players were Stoops' freshmen or his the JUCOs Absolutely. he brought in. So that's a good sign going forward, and that the 2014 class should help a lot. I want to transition to the other sport for UK real quick, and we'll finish up the discussion with uh, UK and then some UofL basketball. Uh, first of all, did you did you watch the Providence game with UK? Absolutely, I 
did. I, I, I really, I was really impressed last night with Willie Collie Stein. To yeah. be honest, I thought he was the animal uh, getting the boards. Uh, I think he ended up with what was it nine blocks total? Yeah, nine blocks here somewhere, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed with him, and I think he's going to be a big key to Kentucky this year. If he can play that way down low, look out! This team could really be dangerous. So, right. Uh, I was impressed with the win. I thought it might have been that might have been their most impressive performance of the year, considering they're playing a decent Providence team on a neutral floor and. And how about the fans in Brooklyn? How about the Kentucky showing there? I mean, I, that, that, that to me it stood out. That, that whole lower bowl was all, almost all Kentucky fans. And, and I'm sure that UK has a pretty big alumni base up in the Northeast that uh, were willing to make the trip to Brooklyn to see the Cavs play. But uh, that, that really stood out to me. I thought the fan support was great. Hey, it always is. We travel well. So, um, yeah, everywhere. With the basketball team, what I've been impressed with, well, last night's one really, is that Julius Randle didn't have a great game. And Andrew, the point guard, had foul trouble, and they still won convincingly. So that's good to see. Yeah. Um, but like, go back to Randall. That was you know his worst game of the year, and it was still a twelve and eight. Uh, what do you think about just him in general as as a player? He blows me away personally. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like Julius, and um, I think if he can figure out the – he still turns the ball over a little bit. Yeah. Um, he gets – the thing with him is he's just going to get hammered all year long. So it's going to come down to – his numbers are going to be at the free throw line. I think he's going to shoot close to 10, 12, 13, 14 free throws a game at least. So um, when he gets the ball down low, he's getting collapsed on, and he's still panicking a little bit, if you know what I mean. He's been forced to – make some bad passes and when he gets double triple teams he's been trying to put the ball on the floor and dribble and that's just that you can't do that so I think that he's going to have to figure this out and uh, figure out that it's okay to go up and get fouled if you get three guys on you down by the basket and you go up for a layup you're going to get fouled so uh, I think a lot of it's just going to come down to his free throw shooting and uh, that's that's just kind of the nature of it, it how it is I mean coach Calipari said a couple a couple or last week after uh, I believe it was the Eastern Michigan game he said that uh, John Wall was in a similar situation when he was here in 2010, and he was like, Coach, I'm not having very much fun. And he was like, well, yeah, you're not having fun. No one's letting you score. You're getting fouled every time you get the ball. So uh, that, the same thing is happening with Julius Randle, and I, I think if he continues to shoot well at the line, which he has lately, uh, I think yeah. uh, he's been 78 or 73% from the free throw line on the year, that's pretty good. That's pretty good in this young season. So I, I if that number drops, you might want to start uh, being concerned. But um, I, I think that Julius Randle is going to make or break his season and maybe even his his checkbook <laughs> on the free throw line this year. Right. You know, looking around here since we are basically the basketball capital of the world, but I mean, looking at the world national champions, I think the Thanks, Clay. What? No, just had to throw. Oh, by the way, Louisville National Champions. Thanks for that. I caught <laughs> well, that. I had to throw it in there. You did. I bet, I bet holiday uh, parties are interesting for you guys, uh, being cousins and whatnot. Right? Well, so, we don't go to holiday parties. Holiday parties at all. We just don't. We I talk. Together. We go separately. I talk to you enough. Yeah. So. Anyway. Go ahead, Clay. Yeah, as I said, the attending national champion Louisville Cardinals. Uh, just trying to throw it one more time, but looking just around, you know, coming this year after the title. I think we all kind of just said, oh, Louisville's going to be good again. I mean, you know, obviously the talent brought in with Jones and Rozier. There's a lot of good talent. You're bringing, I think, nine back of, I believe, 13 off the title team. So I think everybody thought it was going to be a smooth transition. Uh, they played well so far outside of North Carolina, but that was kind of concerning seeing the way they just got Wow. Yeah. on effort yeah. over and over again. 
I mean, what do you think the honest real expectation for Louisville is? I mean, is Final Four reasonably to expect that, or is it? Or is that a little bit much for a team that's coming off a great year? But maybe just, but maybe Final Four is a little bit much. Right. I know. I think a Final Four is a perfect. If you're if you're a Cards fan, you should expect a Final Four with this team. I mean, you've got Russ Smith, Wayne Blackshear, Shandahan, and all contributors that were back from a title team, and Luke Hancock and coming off the bench and Kevin Ware as well. I mean, it's you should expect that, and I think Chris Jones is going to be the key to this team moving forward. He's played well so far. Um, I, I really like what he can do with the basketball. I like his shot too. I think the kid is just a natural scorer for as, as small as he is. I think he's a great natural scorer. Um, so I think that there's there's reason to believe this team should be in the Final Four. I know you lost to North Carolina. That's just that to me. That's just a small setback. I mean, they they lost to a good team on a neutral floor, and they. You know, it was kind of like a wake-up call in a way, and I think Kentucky had that with Michigan State as well. I think that both, I think both Louisville is better than North Carolina, and I still think Kentucky is better than Michigan State in the long run. Um, so, but I mean, you lose a game, it's not the end of the world. You lose to a good team on a neutral floor in November when everyone's still watching football, anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of that, that's 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 not that big a deal to me. And I think that if you're a Cards fan. Uh, you know, Louisville is averaging 82.4 points a game. This is how good college basketball is and how, you know, uh, unevenly matched some of these uh, opponents have been so far for some of these teams. But the 82.4 points per game is 45th in the country. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's a lot of points. And I think with the new rules and, and uh, whatnot, we're going to see some more scoring this year anyways. But um, I, I really am impressed with Louisville offensively. I think Steve Van Treese needs to get it going. I have He's really the only guy... I haven't been impressed with this year, and I also think Louisville is a better team with Terry Rozier on the floor. So, I mean, I think there's 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 eight or nine guys that can play uh, that have had experience that you can throw in the mix there. So, I think this is a deep bench, much like Kentucky's. Everyone talks about how deep Kentucky is off the bench. What about U of L? I mean, I, I I think that they're very strong off the bench. So, I think that uh, a Final Four is not uh, in, in you know a ridiculous expectation for these fans. I really don't. One thing I look at, uh, just from an outside of a basketball question here, but is at what point, I mean, I know Shea Hand is very good for the university. You know, obviously, his freshman year, he was kind of the guy that put Louisville over the top of the, you know, the Elite Eight game over Florida. You know, he had the two late basket. He played well in both of the final fours. I mean, when does it come to the point that, you know, I know Rick Pacino has done a lot of denying and saying that, you know, the Kevin Ware situation uh, with the speeding ticket was not a big deal and this court date and Shane Mahan and, you know, the you know the auction ring and, you know, all the stuff that's gone on with him throughout his career. At what point does Rick Pitino start to have to kind of crack down a little bit and say, okay, these guys have got to go because it's, it's almost becoming a bigger story than the basketball team. All the surrounding distractions off the court, we know how much Pitino does not like those distractions. When is he going to have to go well, the hammer and start taking guys off the team? Well, when it, when when he first suspended Shane DeHan and it made it, it he made him sound like he wasn't going to play at all in the month of November, which he did. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'm still new covering these programs, but from what from what I can tell, this this seems to happen almost every year before the season. There's always somebody, and I know last year Shane got in trouble as well before the season started. I can't really comment. I don't really know what he did, but I know he he did not uh, play in their first game. 
And uh, Shane Bahama is also on media lockdown right now. He's not allowed to speak to any media until January. That is a rule that was set down by Rick Pitino. To me, that is not Shane much of a rule. Same rule we had last year until after the Kentucky game. Shane, Shane's not maybe the smartest tool in the box or, you know, pencil in the box. He, he's, he's had a few issues. Absolutely. And I think that if you look at not just Shane Bahama, but the whole Kevin Ware story, to me, if you're looking at that from the outside in as somebody who doesn't who does not cover this team or watch the team regularly, I, I, I just feel that that's that the whole Kevin Ware story is not a feel good story anymore, just because of all that's happened with him with the, the alleged tweets that was were sent to Anthony Davis. I don't think he did that. I think that his computer or phone, whatever, was really hacked. I don't think that is something Kevin Ware would say to somebody um, uh, saying that they're going to shoot him and whatnot. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I don't think that was him. So, uh, but there's there's been some issue. Obviously, you mentioned the missed court date, and uh, and then Shane DeHaan's ring uh, that appeared at an auction. I didn't know about that until I was flying to Phoenix to visit my dad on Thursday on Thanksgiving on Thursday morning, and I read uh, Himmel's box column in the paper about that. So I, I did I had no idea about that. Apparently, it was stolen from his mom's house in Cincinnati, and uh, it appeared at an auction. So, so that was that was a weird deal as well. I'm not really sure what to make out of that and I don't think we'll hear much about that moving forward as well so yeah it's pretty crazy but uh lots to go look forward with Louisville one last thing we'll let you go it's been a good discussion um I have to ask you before you leave an early prediction for the UK L game maybe not a score who's gonna win so much but just how, how do you think these teams match up right now um you know I know we have, we have a month to go but you know it's fun to talk about so. Oh man, you guys are gonna put me on the spot. Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I figured maybe you'd have me on sometime before then to, to make my. Hey, but anyways, I think that. We, we uh, I don't know. I think right now uh, there's listen. There's still 24 days or 26 days until that game. So uh, both teams have some uh, tough games. I think uh, you know Kentucky plays Baylor on Friday night. Baylor's a pretty decent team. That's. Uh, it, 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 I, I'm interested to see what the crowd at that game is going to be like because it's in Dallas, it's in Jerry World, but uh, you know Kentucky, the way they travel and the way they have alumni everywhere, I I would almost think that might even be a, a pro-Kentucky crowd in Dallas, 90 miles away from Baylor's campus. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see about that, but they've got some tough games. They have to play North Carolina, too, and, and one, one team that a lot of people aren't talking about is Boise State at home. That's a decent basketball team. I think mm-hmm. that's easily a game that Kentucky should win by 10 or 12, 15 points. But, um, so both teams have some games uh, sandwiched in there. Um, L not so much on the competition as Kentucky. I think, you know, U, L plays my U. I'm from Kansas City, so my UMKC Roos are coming into town Wednesday night, you know. So that will be <laughs> exciting to see a team that I grew up kind of watching get beat by 60. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but uh, I, I think that right now, the upper hand in that game, I think you, you have to go with Kentucky. You really do. They're playing at home. Uh, they they seem to you know be be a more difficult matchup for Louisville. I think that Kentucky's size and uh, the inexperience that U of L has, especially at point guard. I know Chris Jones is good, but he's he's just now being thrown into D one college basketball. So I think that that'll be an interesting matchup to see uh, how they hand, how U of L handles the Harrison twins and Randall down low. I just don't. I think that right now, if I had to take a winner, and this could change in the, in the next month, I would definitely say Kentucky probably has my bet right now. So. Awesome. And I was going to tell you, I mean, and our fans should know this, but we do a UK UofL week, uh, like mass podcast production the week of the game. We bring on like eight or ten different people and just do two podcasts per day. So 
we'll bring it on then. We'll have a better gauge by that point. Um, I think. Awesome. A, oh yeah, definitely. I think a big thing is uh, really. I mean, U of L doesn't play anybody till then, so they'll be them. You know, they'll be just whatever. The UK. Yeah, you look at their schedule. They've got they've got UMKC, Louisiana, Lafayette, Western Kentucky at home. Missouri State, FIU, and then UK. So that's, that's <laughs> there really isn't horrible. much uh, sandwiched in between those games, whereas Kentucky, like I said, Man. has to play Boise, UNC, and Baylor. So, and Belmont. Um, it, it'll be interesting. To see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't forget about Belmont. They beat North Carolina on the road. That's a West yeah. Coast team. So, um, that, that, I don't know. These next. So that's the thing. It's pretty. Games, you never know. You'd think Kentucky would make it out of it alive and, and not lose to any of these teams, but you just never know what can happen. Right, it's a pretty good thing, and I I, I want to see how UK, um, how different they will be from that stretch of games. Uh, might give them a leg up against Louisville, but like Clay said before, I, I talked to him yesterday. He said, "Well, we are battle tested. We're defending national champions." And that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, so. that's a good point. I just don't. Yeah. I, I think right now is both teams have looked good and both teams have looked bad. Um, yeah. I don't think there's a clear cut standout between the two on who's looked better. I really don't think there is. So uh, as of right now, I would just give Kentucky the upper hand because they're playing at home, yeah. and uh, and there's going to be a lot going on that day with Louisville fans, especially if, if, you know you go to that Russell Athletic Bowl. That's a night game on the same day, uh, that Saturday, December 28th. So it, it'll be interesting to see uh, what I think more card fans are going to be more inclined to want to travel to Orlando mm-hmm. and maybe get a little tailgate going, maybe watch the basketball game in the parking lot, have a couple beers before you go into the bowl game, uh, watching the basketball game. So that'll be interesting uh, to see how, how UofL fans work that situation out. If, in fact, uh, well, they are going to be playing a bowl game on that day because it's either the Belt Bowl or the Russell Athletic Bowl, if I'm not right. mistaken, and both games are on December 28th. But if, you, if you're in the Belt Bowl, you're playing at the same time. So uh, I think that as a Cards fan, you definitely want to beat Cincinnati on Thursday night, take care of business there. So you can be that number two AAC team and go beat that number three uh, ACC team in that in that Russell Athletic Bowl. Yeah, see, UK fans don't worry about that. We don't have a bowl to look forward to, so we're good. <laughs> anyway, uh, Clay, any last words? No, man, it was awesome having you on. Thank you, Spencer. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I enjoyed the discussion. It was good. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll bring you on, like I said, for the UKUL week back in. Uh, you, yeah, the week of the game. So it'll be crazy, man. All right. All right, Spencer. Thanks That's for coming good. on, man. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Have hey, last plug. Where can we follow you at on Twitter and stuff? Okay. One of, uh, what's, your, what's your Twitter What's your uh, Twitter handle? Oh, my Twitter handle. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I completely forgot to tell you. It is at S-K-I-E-T-Z-680. At s k i e t z 680, so give that a follow if you'd like. Give him a follow, everybody. All right. That was Spencer Keatson. Spencer, take care, man. All right. Have a good one, guys. You too. Awesome. All right, everybody. We're gonna, that was a good interview there with Spencer, and uh, we're going to sign off from this. Now, we do have the rest of our regular podcast <laughs> still to go. Um, we actually recorded this interview uh, the, the day after our podcast discussion, so what I'm going to do is just take a quick like 30-second break, then I'll lead you into um, Clay and I's normal podcast about the rest of the week. So uh, just hold on a second, and we'll keep going here on the Cards and Cats Countdown.